you will need to surrender at some point. You can go kicking and screaming, but I really encourage not doing that as much as possible. (laughs) We love to be in control. We love to know what's going to happen, how long it will last, and what effect it will have on us. But what if, like a tree in the wind, flexibility and surrender are our greatest tools? What if discomfort can be our friend? This is Shame Piñata. I'm Colleen Thomas. Welcome to Shame Piñata, where we talk about creating rites of passage for real-life transitions. So, take a deep breath. No, really, breathe with me for a second. Today we are joined by my friend and teacher, Ira Sonia Moon, and we're going to delve into the less controllable parts of life. So if you didn't breathe just now, breathe with me now. We're going to talk about how ritual can create a container for big feelings and big experiences. And we're also gonna talk about how there's a huge aspect of surrender in ritual, as there is in life. When we do a ceremony, we're inviting a connection, perhaps with other people, perhaps with certain deities or with all that is. We're opening our hearts to the mystery. And that can lead us on a journey that might not be what we expected. Things might be unknown or uncomfortable or unclear from moment to moment. But we're not alone. There are guides, myths, books, and teachers, and Ira Sonia is the perfect voice to hold space for this discussion. We begin with a question I asked her about rites of passage and how they've changed for her over time. How has the concept of rites of passage deepened over your lifetime? Mm, Yeah, I think that that can be answered in a couple different ways. First of all, I never really thought about it. You know, I, I grew up in the Midwest and I was, I, I was Catholic for a very long time. And I think technically I still am on a, on a technicality, I still am. <laughs> and so I've been through those rites of passage, but I looked at those as sort of like, I have to do them. And so they never really felt like things that I was in charge of. They felt like when I'm in second grade, you do communion. When I'm in fifth grade, I think, you do reconciliation. In eighth grade, you do confirmation. And... Then you get married and then you do all the stuff. Um, So those felt more like obligations, maybe duty. As I stepped away from the church and moved into witchcraft, I, rites of passage was a class that I took. Right. It was... I took that too. Right. (laughs) Right, exactly. It was was one of the classes that I took. And so I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And I think it was the, the second class in reclaiming that I took. At that point, I hadn't really met a lot of big situations that I felt were worthy of a rite of passage, I think. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand the value of that. That's a better way to say it. I didn't understand the idea of ritualizing things. And I think 
maybe that was a remnant of Catholicism. I was like, I don't want to ritualize like that. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. So I think that yeah. the next stage was realizing that that was really vital for my healing mm-hmm. and realizing that a rite of passage is a way to have something witnessed, celebrated often, and a place to create a container for that and to have it be held well and softly and like something precious because it is. And I think from there, I think through like my own initiatory process and through other things that I've been through, I recognize that the more I delineate who I was and from who I'm becoming or what's happening next, the more empowered I felt, the more like, I want to say in control because I think a lot of this is surrender, but I think, you know, more empowered in the situation to claim that as something that is, that's important. Yeah. That's well said. And I think it's true as, as we, as we age and as we experience life, you know, there are deeper wells we fall into and, oh my goodness, what is this experience and how do I make sense of this? Mm-hmm. And that's what yeah. ritual can do is when it's done well and it's a safe space, it can really hold space mm-hmm. for this thing that's just can be overwhelming. Absolutely. I mean, how do you, like ritual is and can be structured, but it's also a really great place for things that are messy and and also holds them in a way that you can't always explain. Mm-hmm. At least that's been my experience. Um, you know, having done a lot of rituals and things like that, like sometimes I don't know why it's working, <laughs> but <laughs> right. it is because there's some sort of like, oh, this is this is what we do now. And mm-hmm. you sort of have to surrender into it, but that's a rite of passage too. This is what's going on and we kind of have to go with it. And... We'll see what happens mm-hmm. often. Trusting mystery. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think of, you know, I think of Inanna and I think of that story of Inanna and all the gates, right? Mm-hmm. Like at each gate, you gotta, gotta let something go because that's the way it goes. And you can fight and um, be stubborn like me and you can argue at every gate, but the ways of the underworld are perfect and may not be questioned. <laughs> and that's the way it goes. Uh, <laughs> So like it or not, you can either, you know, struggle, you know, struggle all the way through right. or maybe just meet it and go, this is awful. And that's just the way it is right now. Yeah. And when things are so big and so overwhelming, it's kind of like there's surrendering can be a, a way through. It's necessary. Yeah. It's absolutely necessary. It is yeah. also the worst. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, it can be the worst, right? I think that yeah. I was um, teaching something the other day and someone, I, I was actually talking about initiation, so it's fresh in my head. And there was a question at the end that said, what, but what if I, how, how do I surrender when I don't want to? And I was like, oh, good question. And I said, uh, something to the effect of like, you know, surrender is sometimes about, or like the not wanting to surrender is sometimes about not feeling safe to do it. Yeah. Which... Obviously, it's scary. You don't know what's going to happen. Our bodies are wired to like protect us and to not do things that they don't know how to do or yeah. that they haven't seen before. And I was like, I really think that part of surrender is taking care of that animal body and making sure that it knows it's safe. Yeah. 
and that, you know, it's very simple stuff, you know, water, food, rest, movement, meditation, or whatever practice, like some spiritual practice that makes you feel safe. Being with people that make you feel safe. Mm-hmm. Because then you know, even in the crumbling, I can fall apart. Mm. And falling apart in that moment is what makes us so vulnerable. And I would argue it's where some of the deepest healing can begin. But our animal bodies do need a safe place for that. Our nervous systems need a safe place for that. Safe, warm, centered, caring, a trusted inner circle of friends, a compassionate partner, or an intentional space and time on our own. One of my phrases that I like to use is, I like to call in the idea of discomfort as ally. Discomfort teaches us something and tells us that it's something new. Mm -hmm. So if we can look at it as an ally, maybe it becomes a collaboration Mm. versus a fight. Mm. I like that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that that applies to a whole bunch of things, discomfort (laughs) as ally. So I... (laughs) how you deal with your um, various internalized oppressive mm. thinking, whether you're dealing with dealing with and working towards becoming more anti-racist, like how do I yes. how do I sit with discomfort mm-hmm. as an ally, not as something I did wrong, mm-hmm. but something I could learn from? Totally. Ideally. Yeah. Right. Right. And that and that's um, I don't know if it's a muscle, but it's mm-hmm. it's it feels like it. Yeah. I've had to dramatically increase my ability to be with discomfort around race. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. thought for a while mm-hmm. I couldn't, and then realized I could once I kind of started yeah. figuring it out and trying it. And yeah, mm-hmm. and how incredibly essential it is. Mm-hmm. It's like a hack, a huge hack. <laughs> Absolutely, right? It is. <laughs> like once you're like, oh, wait, wait, okay. <laughs> well, and I think it's 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 challenging for so many reasons, but also for... I don't, I don't think like a lot of society is conditioned to like be okay with being uncomfortable. Like we're always seeking comfort, like from, and that makes sense. I do, of course, because of course I want to be comfortable, but because I think it's so easy to be so removed from it that then when it does come, it feels so much bigger. Mm, And and sometimes it's not, it's like, it's uncomfortable and doesn't feel good, but it's not actually dangerous. And discomfort isn't usually going to hurt us. We just have a knee-jerk reaction to avoiding it. And I'm not sure we can control that. But something we can control is to develop our capacity to notice when we've instinctively turned away from something that feels uncomfortable and to stop and consider, is this something that can actually help me learn something about myself or be someone better? Consider this an invitation. We'll both try this. The next time you notice that you're feeling uncomfortable, maybe you find yourself walking away from a conversation, or you get a text you don't want to respond to, or you're confronted with something you don't want to do, and you find yourself suddenly scrolling social media, take a breath and set a timer for one minute. And just practice sitting with whatever feelings you're wanting to get away from. Just allow yourself to be there for one minute. Allow yourself to develop a capacity to be with discomfort. And then when you're done, do a little dance because you are a rock star. 
If you follow Irisanya's work, you know that she's a prolific author and teacher. In fact, she will be launching a year-long Aphrodite immersion in 2024, as well as the Heart Magic Mystery School. And one of the reasons I'm so happy to have her with us here today is to hear about her latest book, Pagan Portals: Norns, Weavers of Fate and Magic. The Norns are the weird sisters, and so it is Erd, Ferdandi, and Skuld. And they are not quite, but we're going to use this because it's simpler. You know, is, was, and shall be. They are the ones that spin the threads and then weave the string, and then also cut it when it's the end of a life. They are the ones who are in charge of that whole thing. In Norse mythology, there are thoughts about, you know, all of our lives are predetermined. So, and that is not a fun thing to say in. This culture, like I want to know that I am in charge of this life that I have in front of me, right. and it's not like everybody thinks the same way. But if we were to carry that, it is yes, everything's determined, and how can I meet what my life brings to me?、Mm. Yes, everything might be predetermined, and all of us have a piece of this web, and how we interact does actually shift things. So. I love to write. I love to do magic with the Norns because it reminds me not only of this interconnectedness and this again, this idea of not being alone in this,、yeah. and that we are all connected in some way. But it also reminds me that since time is not really linear, it, it's sort of happening all at the same time.、Right. That also means healing happens all at the same time, and it can travel back and forth. And up and down, and all the different directions.、Wow. Um, at least that's what I think. I don't. I don't think of time only going forward. Right. I, I think that what's happened, what's already happened to me, is still impacting me. So it is still a part of this.、Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that's important. I think this idea of like time and sort of realizing that、um, we we live in a society that has very you know specific ideas about what that looks like. You're and you're running out of time. Or you have taken too much time, or you have so much time ahead of you. Why? Why stress about this? Right. To challenge that, I think is important. To challenge that and to bring that into rituals. That maybe it's not that you've missed an opportunity. Maybe it's that you have a different opportunity to take,、mm-hmm. uh, a different healing to send back to generations that might want it, need it. To send it forward to the future descendants that might want it and need it.、Mm. One of the things I bring up in the book that I think is vital to this grief conversation or rites of passage and things like that is there's there's a I don't have a favorite Norn I always say but this one's my favorite is、uh, Verdandi and she is most often related with the present moment, which is something I find I've always had a challenge with like how do I stay present how do I You know, worked real hard on that.、Mm. The thing that I recognized as I was writing this and in other work with her, the present moment is so fleeting. Like, how do you define that? You can't. Like,、yeah. the present moment. Oh, there it goes. You know, and because of that, you know, every like this moment right now has become the past so quickly. Right. So she's such a great reminder of that. And in this moment of like either encountering grief or anticipating grief.、Yeah. Present moment. 
how can I meet this present moment right now? Because it is building every, all of my past. And it is also launching me mm. to whatever comes next. Yeah. So being present uh, is a big part of all this. You know, we talk about witnessing and yeah. all the different things. Present, how can I really know this moment? Because it's already gone. I'm curious if you've developed different strategies for staying in the present moment after working mm-hmm. with the Norns. Yeah, uh, I would love to uh, say that I, I do that all the time. <laughs> uh, I think that I think the best thing that I've learned is actually the things that I've learned from Verdandi is that there's this one practice. I don't remember if I put it in the book or not because sometimes you write books and it was a while ago. Uh, like looking into a mirror is a really good present moment practice. Where are you at right now? Without looking away, without maybe examining how things could be different. I think that is a practice I turn to and actually often turn away from because Mm -hmm. someone's going to listen to this and go, I've heard you spout off about mirror work. (laughs) I have. It is, it's confronting. It's confronting to be in the moment because it is not only like looking at yourself in a mirror, but it's also like I'm in a moment where I I could do something. Mm -hmm. Why am I not? Or or why am I choosing this particular thing? For me, my cultivation of staying more present is uh, often showing up and unprepared. (laughs) I I just do it more often now. I just show up for what is present. I think Adrienne Marie Brown talks about that in Emergent Strategy, Mm. like to to be, oh, it is, it's uh, be more present, like presence over preparation. And that is actually really helpful because instead of walking into something going like, oh, this is what I'm gonna say, or this is what's gonna happen or anything like that, I just show up and go, what's already here? How do I engage with that? And it has become a muscle. I show up more and meet what's present. Yeah, I mean, I taught at a camp um, in Australia recently and we did, the whole camp was about Aphrodite, but we had one day of grief. And my co-teacher and I realized the thing we had planned was definitely not the thing that we needed to do that day. Mm-hmm. And so we had to surrender <laughs> and come up with something else and just follow where people were at. Mm-hmm. And that is... It's a, it takes time to sort of trust that that's going to be okay. But we did, we trusted, we trusted the people in the group. We trusted the the things that we did think were going to be the things. And it ended up being from what I've heard and felt for myself, because I'm in that too. Mm -hmm. uh, We got to be present with what was actually real, not worrying about where we had been or where we wanted to go. Yeah. So just showing up and being like, what I have to offer doesn't have to be perfect, mm-hmm. but I, I, I want to be here and I want to hear you. Yeah. I want to hear me. Yeah. It just takes a lot of risk and a lot of doing it over and over until it feels like, oh, I, okay, that I, I can trust myself in that moment. Yeah, I feel like that's a marker of somebody who is more confident. When I think about, mm-hmm. like, in the business world, people who show up, like, really prepared, 
you know, or it's kind of like it's good to be prepared, but then also there are people who show up and they're just like, okay, I'm here. What what's going on today? You know, and that sort of mm-hmm. happens at like the higher level. <laughs> it's the it's the underlings that have done all the homework because you know the way the work's structured and everything, like in in a business setting. But like, yeah, it's it's like I love to see a woman who just walks in and she's just like, okay, you know, I got a sense of it, and now where are we? And like, let's go with this, and w- together we're going to work with this thing, you mm-hmm. know, and. Yeah, there's a confidence there. That's also trusting, like, where it's not just trusting yourself, it's trusting everyone around you. And I think that trusting that everyone will show up in the way that they can, because you can't expect anything, you know, perfect to be perfect or the way that you want necessarily. I have many stories about that. But it is about trusting that you are in the space where something is going to happen, that something will emerge. And the other thing that Adrienne Marie Brown says, um, moving at the speed of trust mm, yeah. is a way to yeah. it also helps people come together more easily and yeah. to meet these moments where it is possibly confusing and something needs to change because some death destruction whatever you know this is a moment where what you planned doesn't make sense mm-hmm. and to do what you did plan would not be the thing yeah there's no perfection in any of this. No. There is, there's only arriving. Exactly. So how are you in terms of preparing versus just showing up and being in the flow? I'm guessing you're probably, like most people, a balance between the two. And how is surrender your friend? And how is discomfort your ally? I remind you of Iris Sonia's thoughts on making it safe for the body. New things can be scary. Discomfort can feel awful. But there are always ways to calm our bodies and our hearts and hopefully friends to have by our side on the journey. Iris Sonia will be back next time to speak with us on the discomfort of grief and how to keep moving forward year after year after a particularly meaningful loss. Irisanya Moon is an author, witch, priestess, teacher, and initiate in the reclaiming tradition. She is passionate about the idea that life is and we are a love spell, a dance of desires and connection, moving in and out of the heart, always returning to love. Irisanya cultivates spaces of radical acceptance to foster trust and liberation, to remind people they are not alone. Our music is by Terry Hughes. Find us on IG and Twitter at Shame Piñata. Reach us through our website, shamepiñata.com, and subscribe to the show on your favorite player. Also be sure to check out our second show, Daily Magic for Peace, supporting you as you support Ukraine. I'm Colleen Thomas. Thanks for listening. <laughs>